Welcome back to episode number 99 of the MP Dude. This is Jeff the MP Dude giving nurse practitioners a voice. That's all of our voices, guys. I need to hear from you. I need to know what's bugging you. Because if it's bugging you, it's bugging me. It's got to be bugging all of us. So send me emails at jeff at the npdude.com. You can also catch me on Facebook. Catch me at the NP Dude. Don't forget to use the the or the. Depends on what part of the country you're in. Because uh, if you don't, you'll get some little guy, I don't know, Nepal or something. I don't know. It's not me. Got to put the in front of it. Um, you can catch me personally as well. I'm getting still getting some good friends on um, friendship requests on me personally. It's Jeff Powers. It works. I don't care either way. Get in touch with me. Send me a smoke signal. I don't care. I need to hear what's going on though, guys. Um, I got a couple that came through uh, last couple days. It's been quite pretty quiet. I've been so busy. I've been crazy busy. So we're all busy, right? Getting ready for fall. Everything's kind of falling apart. School started. Banned. I got kids that are starting band. It's great. It's wonderful noise at night. It's fantastic. Um, but it's fun though. So we're at 1415 as of this morning. Likes on Facebook page. 1415. And I've, I've, you know, I did a couple things last weekend. I really didn't do much. You guys are doing this. It's all you. I need your help though. I need your help to spread the word. I want to get to 2000. That's my next mark. That's my next benchmark. How do we do it? You guys like and share the show as much as possible. Tell your friends, you guys that are my chronic intractables out there, be uh, be an advocate. If you see something that you know you think that you've heard on my show, and you see it on a Facebook page, or you have somebody in your office that's talked about it, and you're like, I don't know how that works, send them to my show. Even if even if it's not exactly the same thing, it might spark some interest of like, well, yeah, that's how the, he he can find that information. I could do that for myself too. That's the goal of this show is for you guys to be empowered to become intelligently well-prepared to do the things that we need to do. Same with me. That's the goal. This is I'm just giving you my philosophy of learning. And if I can give you that, then you guys you guys can do what I do. It's not, not that difficult. Yes, I am a licensed attorney. I get it. But that was 15 years ago. Now it's a matter of, oh, I kind of remember something like that. And then you go look it up. And a lot of it I do remember, but not some of it I just don't use, you know. So you gotta try to draw it back out of the memory banks and see, oh yeah, that that is the way that works, and it's a great exercise for me. So I do appreciate a lot of the legal questions and uh, and uh, some of the good practice type questions. If you aren't familiar with who I am, go back and listen to the intro. It's episode zero zero one. Okay, go listen to the intro. You get a little background of who I am, what I've done, where I've come from, and all that kind of stuff. So maybe you can. Uh, have a little bit of trust in what I've done and maybe a little bit of credibility of my background. So, and maybe not, I don't know. So maybe people out there think I'm full of crap, but no one's telling me that. So tell me I'm full of crap. If you guys are out there and you think, well, Powers is full of crap, tell me. I don't care. The um, show topic for today, what, what's going on out there that's crazy? Um, I don't know. Let's see. The, the main things on the news, I, I really don't listen that much. I just catch some snippets here and there. I don't know. What's going on? Open oh, the... Trump is pissing everybody off about football. Uh, people are kneeling. No one cares, in my opinion. Um, it's a distraction. And they're distracting you. What are they really trying to do? God only knows what they're trying to do. My bet is they're trying to they're either getting getting a massive tax reform that they're trying to do and jam down people's throat that isn't really any better, but makes it so that the Republicans say they did something and the Democrats can say they fought it, and in reality it doesn't change anything. Um, and then what else? There's um you know, they're trying to do the Senate health care bill, but I think uh, Rob Portman's going to, you know, he's going to block it. I don't think it's going anywhere. 
it's no different. I don't know. It's the same old garbage. They're going to strip out money, but then they're going to reallocate it through block grants, and it's the same thing over and over again. They can't come up with anything original. It's the same thing they've been doing for 30 years. It's just more money out of our pocket. That's all. That's it. Um, what do we want to talk about today? I had two that came through. One was... Um, it was a Facebook thread. That's how I get a lot of my information is through Facebook threads. But this person individually contacted me, and we talked, and um, a little bit back and forth. But here's the hypothetical situation: you work in an office, it's a physician, a PA, and you. Okay, that's we'll just call it that because I don't know the, the, the true particulars. And and I've kind of run into this um, in talking to people in the past of you know office managers when I was interviewing that had PAs. And they, there's a real big discrepancy in how physicians utilize PAs versus what most family nurse practitioners want to be utilized as. And so jamming NPs into the, the uh, model of the PA is more conservative for the, for the group, but it doesn't use us to the fullest of, you know, authority that we're granted, right? We don't need oversight. We need just someone to check our charts six months later. And so this individual says it's these three individuals. It's a, let's just call it that: a, a doc, a PA, and an NP. And I'm gonna get hate mail for saying doc again. Sorry, guys. That's just what I call them. And so you've got um, the doc that will co-sign all of the PA's charts to get 100% of the billing rate through the through CMS. Okay, incident two billing. If you don't know incident two billing at this point, go back and listen to incident two. Go to my my website into the, the search box, type incident, and hit the go button, and it'll go right to like two or three different shows, and you'll find the one that's I think it's, it's one of the early ones, like episode fifteen or eighteen or somewhere in there. And so incident two billing, I'm not going to rehash all of incident two billing, but it is important to note that in in mid-level, and I'm only using that word because it just it's the only way to, to easily describe it because I'm including PAs and NPs together. Okay, there's no good term for that. For, for PAs and NPs, we have an 85% pay rate if we are the one to initiate the care or change the plan, right? So that's what I think everybody's pretty much on the same page with that now. And, and PAs and NPs, I looked it up this morning, they're in the same boat. But the rules for review of a PA versus the rules for review of, a, of an NP are a little bit different. PAs, the way they do it, instead of looking retroactively at your charts six months later and auditing them, instead of doing a true audit, which is in the, as in, like in the future, you'll audit someone you know, and you'll be looking back at their work. Where PAs do it differently is they get co-signatures throughout you know, the day and you have to get so many percentage you know, by the state board of, you know, PAs, whatever, the medical board that covers PAs, and they'll mandate how many they need to see, so every 10th chart you need to co-sign, or every, you know, every other one, so a lot of times what they'll do is, out of a matter of course, they'll just co-sign all the charts at the end of the day, but the finance and billing person in this particular hypothetical is billing everyone, billing all of those at 100%, because they don't know which one the doc is actually instituting the plan and the PA is actually, you know, did the, the PA work them up, get their history, their, do their physical, make up a plan, go talk to the, to the doctor 
the physician and then walk back in the room. The physician comes in and says, hey, yep, Jeff did a great job as your PA today, which I'm not, but just to say that because some people are new. Um, then, then that's okay. They can they can build that at 100. percent That's that's an appropriate mechanism to do that. But if for if in in reality, what happens is you know, eight hours later, the physician just hits a button that says sign all charts, and boom, all the charts are signed, and they're billing at 100. percent And that physician never popped his head in, never did anything. It's not about necessarily being on site. It's it, it well for PAs, it is. They're supposed to be available and on site. But they, they stretch that rule by, by saying, well, they're on site because they can be on site within so many minutes if they're called and they can, you know, if somebody needs to see them, they sit in the waiting room and then 30 minutes later we'll be there. That, so, I mean, they're on the same campus, but not in the same building. So they, they, they do wiggle room on, on that. And I think they even take liberties with that, to be honest with you. And it depends on the state as well. And I'm not saying you guys need to go look up what the requirements are for a PA. I don't care. I really don't care what they do. What I care about is what I do. Now, where I've interviewed or at least talked to, kind of quasi-interviews, with um, with practices that have PAs and don't have NPs, they have that same mindset of, oh, you have to have, be supervised. We have to have the, the physician here or else we can't be open for X number of hours. And, oh, well, the physician, I, we'd have to hire another physician to be on right there and available. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I don't need that. You can open up the doors three hours earlier and I'll see patients for three hours before the PAs even show up. I don't need to dock around. I, I, I can put them on their schedule tomorrow or next week if they want to talk to them. I don't, I don't need that supervision. And so I had to educate office managers in, in the past about that. And they still didn't kind of grasp it. They didn't trust me. I don't know if it's that they just didn't believe me or they just they had predisposed notions of what we do. And they just kind of glumping us all together because of, you know, what they think we are as mid-level, quote-unquote, right? So what, is, what do we do in this particular instance? Well, you're, you're now working with this, this practice that's overbilling because the PA is billing at 100% when in reality the doc isn't really going in and talking to the patient. He isn't doing anything wrong. That's Medicare, Medicaid fraud. It really is. Now, how do you prove it is a different question. You really, you really can't. Now, so the, the question is, is that if you want to get your charts co-signed by a physician and him not looking at your charts and you're not really doing anything to, for patient care and you're billing at 100%, you're committing Medicaid fraud or Medicare fraud. CMS front, let's just call it that. You're going to get a tip line called on you. <laughs> you can't do that. So when you go into your office manager and say, look, not only is it that, that I can't do that, but I'm obligated to turn you in. <laughs> you want to do that one politically, you'll get fired. But the, the point being is that you, you don't want to commit fraud. You just don't because you, you lose your license. You have to report that to every state in the union if you want to try to move and get a different license. You have to report that you you know lost your license or that you have an action against you or a, you know your board will certainly be notified. You're probably going to lose your license. That's a lot of money you paid for a degree and for certification and a lot of knowledge you gained that you can't really utilize. That would really suck. But the problem is, is that your company, if they're doing it wrong, they need to know. And, and so I would, I would go in, you can Google and I just did it. It's really easy. Just type physician assistant CMS incident to billing and boom, it comes right up. The first one, they get fact sheets and you can just look at the fact sheet and it just clumps us right together. It's all mid-level providers. It affects all of us. So it's the same billing that the, the government's not that's that 
that smart to be able to keep track of PAs versus NPs. They, they still think we're the same thing at CMS, in my opinion. They don't care what our scope of practice is. They just care what they have to reimburse us. And so they glump us together. The problem there is, man, your company's really, really putting themselves out a little bit just by signing, co-signing those charts and just, oh, well, this is the way we used to do it. Well, that doesn't mean that it's not fraud. And, and your manager, and you know who I'm talking to, your manager is 100% correct in saying the rules are what we just what I just talked about. And it's not that the physician has to be in the building and you can bill incident two. The physician has to participate in the care. And, and so can they just stick their head in and say, yes, I agree with this plan? They can. But, and I've talked about physician liability as a collaborator in the past. If they're really not paying attention to what you do, they're putting themselves on the hook because you are supposed to document collaborated with physician on this case and physician agrees. That goes in your chart. Now they're on the hook for, for malpractice liability as well. Otherwise, if they're just a physician that's your collaborator, they don't enjoy that liability unless they're the owner of the clinic. We've talked about that in the past too. That's the physician liability with your collaboration. I just did that one, I don't know, 10 episodes ago. It wasn't that long ago. But it's, uh, yeah, your, your office manager's right. Be careful. People, be careful. Please be smart. Learn the rules before you just jump in. And, and I know there's always going to be times where you're doing it. Maybe, oh, crap, I'm doing it wrong. You adjust. You fix. You start doing it the right way. Should you go back and say, oh, I screwed up? I, you know, you're, you're supposed to. <laughs> How are they ever going to know? I don't know. But, you know, I just, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't continue to do something I knowingly knew was wrong. I, I, let me just put it that way. I would make sure I was doing things the right way. What else do we have? I had another one. Um, somebody wanted to talk about this one. I said, Jeff, you need to get back in this one. And I think I've already covered it slightly under another topic. So it might be buried. So I'm going to make this one in, in the title and make it a little bit more easily found for people because I think it was just like a couple minutes of talking. And the hypothetical is this. What is my opinion on the need for practice as an RN for acceptance into FNP school or any acute care or any type of NP school whatsoever. And here's the issue. I ask myself this main question. Would I have benefited from mandatory um, RN work? Working in a hospital, working somewhere. And is there a specific that was required? I think it was one of my first two or three episodes I talked about this. Is there a specific type of uh, nursing that would be required for an FNP to be successful and really make them the best that they could be? Do I think it should be required? I absolutely don't. I honestly believe that my experience as an RN didn't really add that much experience benefit for me to be successful in NP school and it's a totally different job that I do now as an FNP than what I did working in the ICU. It really is. The medications are essentially different. You know, one of the things that I really remember carrying over the most is, you know, what Colace looks like, right? I mean, is, is, that, is that wrong? Little orange footballs. Okay. So when I'm looking through somebody's pill ball, I say, oh, there's your Colace. So, yeah, I got that going for me. But in reality, there really wasn't that much that crossed over. Now, assessment skills and things like that, they're different. It's a totally different mindset. And, and to, to say, oh, well, you have to have that, I think it's just unnecessary. Now, do I think that it's good you know, for a, a 21, 22, 23-year-old 
person to get some life experience before they go back for another professional degree, I think it would be smart just to do that to make sure it's what you want to do. I don't necessarily think that you need it to become a better provider. I really don't. I really, really don't. Now, does that mean that you know, a 19, 20, 22, 23, 24-year-old that just doesn't have life experience and it really, you know, was pampered all their life. And I'm not saying that's you guys. I'm just saying I'm, I'm setting the stage for the type of person that I would say, yeah, you need to go work. That That's why they need to go work. But it's not to be a better provider. It's to be a better professional. So maybe from that perspective, I could agree with it. But I, I don't think it's, and I see the argument all the time, and I think it's misplaced. That, oh, well, you, to be a better provider, you need to be doing this. I don't think that's the case. I think it's better be, to be a better professional in general. But I, I, I could care less. I really don't care. What, what I would do if I was an employer and I was concerned about, you know, the quality of my applicant pool, I would look at the person that had some experience. I think that it's in your best interest to get experience, but I don't think it's required. So if I was the employer looking at a candidate that had you know, went straight from, you know, BSN to an MSN to a DNP and, and just did clinicals and never worked, didn't even have a part-time job, right, as a nurse, picking up PRN shifts or anything, didn't do any of that, and was straight-A student, was fantastic, rave reviews from clinicals, everybody, right? If I had that person versus somebody that had moderate grades that was more of an entrepreneurial mindset of, you know, I worked for this small company and I helped work as the office manager and I helped do this and I helped do that. And then I went to, you know, night school and got my RN. Then I got went back and got my BSN and then, and then I went and got my MSN. But I did it while I was working and I did all this other stuff and I knew how to juggle all these things. You know which one I would hire? The person that could juggle all the things because they're going to have a harder time adapting. It's going to take too much time for them to adapt. Um, so it, does it, do I mean it needs to be required? No, I don't think it does because the right person, you could look at them and say, yeah, they got straight A's and they got great clinical experience. I don't know. It's a good question. They might be perfect for this practice. I, I would certainly want to talk to them for more than one, you know, 20 minute interview. I'd want to make sure that they could communicate well. If they could communicate well and they're in their positive and happy attitude, I'll give them a shot. I really would. But I, I probably would be looking at him with a little bit of what my dad would say, a jaundiced eye. <laughs> I would just be like, yeah, I'd look at the other guy first and see, maybe I can make that work. Now, the other person might bring a ton of bad habits. So you got to, it just depends, right? It really depends on the person. It's really, you know, I'm kind of on the fence. But I don't think I would have benefited. So if somebody said, you have to go get, you know, five years of, you know, floor nursing experience to do FNP, I would have been like, screw that, I'm going to go work in ISU, and I'll probably go CRNA, or something different, right, if that was mandated, I think when we mandate, I think we, we, we eliminate, just like we're trying to eliminate the bad people from getting in, you actually eliminate a lot of the good people from getting in, because if you make it too difficult, that it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, you're, you very well might be losing very excellent people that would be a, an asset to a profession. So I'd say let the marketplace dictate. Let the let the employers figure it out. Who's good, who's not. Do good background checks. Do good reference checks. You can't just be all on the schools to say, oh, we need to make and mold these people. It's got to be the employers. If you're a turd, we've talked about turds in the past, right? If you're a turd of an employee, if you're a turd of an applicant, you're not going to get hired. You just wasted a bunch of money. So you have to make yourself as attractive as possible. And I think that 
you know, it's in your best interest to make yourself attractive, get some experience, get some good experience too. I mean, it's, you know, and all nursing is hard. Don't get me wrong. I, I tried working in a nursing home for a couple days. It was horribly hard. It was difficult because I had so many patients. It was horrible. And I'm like, I'm not doing this. I told the boss, don't even stop looking for somebody because this ain't going to last. Made it two days in a nursing home. I was like, this ain't going to happen. So you guys that have worked nursing home and done it for a long time, I applaud you because I had 36 patients with admits and discharges in, in rehab. It was horrible. I'm like, this ain't going to happen. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm not staying until 10 o'clock at night for free. Don't need to. So, um, you know, that, that that type of experience is hard and difficult, but is it applicable to family practice? You know, passing pills out and and doing wound dressing changes isn't necessarily what's going to help you become a better provider. You know, doing dialysis, which is very specific, isn't going to be... I, I don't know anything about dialysis other than, you know, when I did some peritoneal dialysis in the ICU. I don't know how to pick a dialysate. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I'm not nephrology. And and that doesn't necessarily carry over into family practice. Other than the fact that, oh, that maybe, you know, you're, when your creatinine clearance is this, you can't use certain medicines. So, okay. That's that's a small snip, snippet. I, I haven't needed to use that yet. <laughs> maybe I will someday. I don't know. Let me know if I need to, guys. <laughs> Send me a smoke signal. Tell me I'm wrong. I don't know. But I, I just, I get, I get in this argument with these people. It's like, well, I don't get in the argument, but I see the argument and I don't want to get into the argument because it's just like, it's so opinionated and juicy and fun to watch, but it's such a time sink. Don't get sucked in on that stuff, guys. It's not worth it. It's really not worth it. When you see somebody say something like, what's better, brick and mortar school or online program? And you're going to get a hundred people because that one, the one that they did, they want to justify why it was the good one or whatever. Or why they hated, you know, that one, or what? It was just it doesn't it doesn't seem to make sense to me. Don't get into that one. Don't do it. It's what you make of it, right? All of your experiences are what you make of them. Anyways, guys, that was fun. I don't know what else to tell you about it. I don't know. You guys tell me. If you guys want to start a thread on my on my Facebook page about which which uh, which way you believe about whether you need to have experience or not, do it. I don't care. You guys can have blow up my Facebook thread. I, don't, I could care less. Blow it up. Whatever, dude. Um, I probably won't chime in again because <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's really, they're going to, the people that make the rules are going to do whatever they want to do anyways, right? And do I think it would stifle competition? I kind of think it would stifle competition right now. We want we want to get as many NPs out there so that we're the next thing instead of PAs or, or pharmacists are trying to get authority to prescribe medications and physical therapists are trying to get authority to prescribe certain medications. And so, you know, do you, do you want your chiropractor getting the, that? I, I, I don't know. It seems like everybody's trying to increase the scope of practice in the void of family practitioners, family practice physicians uh, disappearing. And I think that allowing us to flood the market, even though it makes our pay a little lower right now, makes us the next best thing. And I think we need to step into that role. And I think we need to be smart about how we do it. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of okay with swamp on the market with NPs right now. I'll take a little bit lower pay right now because if, if everybody automatically in the marketplace says, you know, what, I don't go to my physician anymore. I go to my nurse practitioner. I don't want to hear, oh, I go to my PA or I go to my pharmacist or my chiropractor and I get my family care there. That's not what I want to hear. 
Send me comments, guys. Jeff at the NPDude.com. Send me uh, concerns, headaches. I don't care what it is. I want to know what you guys are having problems with. Um, don't forget, you guys can help support the show by, by sharing, liking, friending me, sending me messages. All that stuff is all out there. You guys can get in touch with me, and, and that's a great way to support the show is giving me, giving me your problems so that I can talk about them. And the other thing you can do is go to my Amazon affiliate link. Don't forget the Amazon affiliate link is free to use. It's just one extra, extra step. You go to my website, thenpdude.com. Click on the banner that says Amazon. It's just all over. You can't miss it. Just go to my webpage. Scroll down, scroll over. You'll see it. Click on that link. It takes you to Amazon. You do the purchasing you otherwise would have. It does not charge you a dime. It's completely free to do it this way. But what it does is it kicks me a couple percentage from Amazon. And this is how I'm going to pay for my web hosting and keep the show going. So I need your help. I need your support. Don't forget to go do that. Go go to Amazon affiliate link. But you got to go through my website. You can't just go to Amazon and say, yeah, I want to use, you know, the MP dude is saying, and there's no way to find it that way. Okay, you got to go to my website, the MP dude, and do it. I've been told you got to turn off your pop up blocker. Um, I'm not sure if that's true for everybody or not. I've never had that come up on my my uh, when I've used it, and uh, it seems to work fine from from my platform at home. So uh, you know, let me know if you guys are having any problems using that, and I do appreciate you guys doing that. It really does help. So thanks for listening, guys. I really, really appreciate it. It's a beautiful, beautiful Friday. I want you guys to have a wonderful weekend. I want you guys to be safe, be smart, and have fun. We'll talk soon.